We acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, the gathering grounds of many diverse First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples whose footsteps have marked this land and whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Hello and welcome back to Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast. I'm Brooklyn Logician and I'm here with Natalie Smatis. Hey, how's it going? In today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Miriam Nasari. Dr. Miriam Nasari is an internationally educated nurse with more than 13 years of clinical experience. She moved to Canada in 2011 to continue her education at a doctoral level. After graduating in 2016, she held two postdoctoral fellowship positions in health service, research, and health economy. Before taking over her current position at McCune University, she had a management position with the Saskatchewan Health Authority in North Saskatchewan during the COVID pandemic. Hello, and thank you for being with us today. Hello. I'm very excited to talk about your research. It's always exciting when we have people from the health program here at McEwen. I think we're just going to start with kind of what's your current position at the university? So I am an assistant professor at McEwen University, and I have been having this position since uh, September 2021. Hmm. And so kind of what is your area of expertise in the health um, services? Well, um, looking at my clinical background, I am a critical nurse, mm. a specialist nurse in coronary care unit. Um, and I am interested in teaching uh, topics related to acute care. Um, but in research, I have been having a shift toward the community because I uh, I, I see a huge need in uh, putting mm -hmm. more effort in, in community and uh, preventions before treatment. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, that's that's very meaningful and impactful um, research. Kind of where did your academic life begin? It, it was started in Iran, my home country. I had my undergrad education in Iran in a pretty good uh, university. And then I started working, um, but I, I had this in mind that I wanted to uh, continue my education. Um, but because nursing is an applied um, uh, kind of science, I wanted to have some work experience before going to the next level. Mm. So I worked in acute care for, I guess, six years before uh, going for my master's degree. I did my master's degree again in, in Tehran University in Iran, um, and I worked while I did my master's. So I didn't have any gap in uh, working. And then after my master's again, I thought, well, I wanted to go further. Uh, and that was because of the kind of interest that was shaped in me during my master's. Um, to do more research. And for that, I thought I need to uh, go to PhD level and focus on research. And uh, finding um, an opportunity abroad was so beneficial to see what other countries are mm -hmm. doing. And, and I chose Canada. Was there any specific reason why you chose Canada? Well, mainly because of the um, healthcare system mm -hmm. and the area of research that I wanted. Uh, so I was between Australia and, and Canada, and I got admission from both. Mm. Uh, I got admission from Melbourne University and uh, 
University of Alberta and Calgary, and I chose University of Alberta at the end because of the kind of area of expertise that I had for my future career. Cool. What were some of the differences when you came to Canada looking at the healthcare system from Iran to the Canadian healthcare system? Well, when I came to Canada, I didn't have the opportunity to work in healthcare system. Mm -hmm. I was kind of limited uh, to the university. Mm -hmm. um, and it was because I didn't have my license. But when I started um, kind of looking around and uh, when I got my license and I started being in the arena, actually in the healthcare, then I could see the differences. So because I worked in uh, acute care settings in Iran, I would say um, acute care setting in Iran is comparable really mm -hmm. uh, with Canadian settings. Uh, if you exclude the technology part for sure, mm. because in, in terms of technology and infrastructures, we are behind mm. developed countries because mm. Iran is a developing country. But um, when you look at what we do, healthcare professionals, um, what we learn at the university and what we do, really there is not much differences. Um, but something that we lack in Iran is the community part, the, mm. the care that is offered to the communities. Canada has progress community uh, healthcare services, at least compared to Iran. And uh, that's why I chose Canada, and that's why I am again uh, here focusing on community care, because I think that if we make this part uh, stronger, uh, more progress, uh, we are going to reduce a lot of um, load from acute care settings. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have been seeing, you know, especially since pandemic, a huge load on hospitals that could be reduced by um, looking at the challenges that we have in community care. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think um, for someone who doesn't really know what it means. What is acute care? Okay, acute care is is actually hospital. Mm. When you go uh, to a hospital, you have an acute um, health issue that is not going to be resolved uh, by the care that you are given at your home by your informal caregiver or by your um, family physician. Mm -hmm. uh, or other healthcare professionals who can help you at your home to get better. So when you have the issues that is not going to be addressed with all these things, then you have to be hospitalized mm -hmm. and get a specialized care in the hospital, and we call this acute care. Mm -hmm. Here, we, we don't uh, keep patients for a long time, and uh, we try to reduce the length of a stay as much as possible. That means we just uh, want patient to be there to get the care that is going to be delivered only in hospital and then go home for the rest of the service. Mm -hmm. But doing this needs a lot of, you know, of work on the community part mm -hmm. to help patient mm -hmm. to kind of go back to normal life. That's, that, that is the part that I really value and my current and future uh, research will be focusing on. Hmm. I feel like that's really important to have that um, 
kind of recovery piece afterwards when you've been in kind of the hospital or in one environment for so long it's it may be hard to kind of get back to to normal life would you say that's true yeah it is it depends on your health issue mm. um you might have a long recovery outside of hospital and there has to be um kind of a help support for you to to go through the the recovery outside of hospital mm -hmm. without uh, a need of readmission mm -hmm. so that's what um, healthcare professionals do in the communities and especially with the population that I am focusing on older adults seniors and there is a huge needs because mm -hmm. well these people will get more uh, hospital admissions and when they are coming back uh, to their life, to their independent life that they had before uh, being admitted to acute care setting, uh, they really need help and support. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, getting more focus on my research, I needed to, to choose a population and all these seniors uh, were close to my heart. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's that's the, the kind of population that I chose actually for my first research project. I'm always very interested in that kind of area for healthcare and senior care because I've I've experienced it through grandparents and stuff. We're from a Ukrainian culture, so a lot of the time my parents, their grandparents would stay with them when they were seniors. But now because of financial things or workloads, it's it's hard to bring a grandparent into your house when there's little kids or anything like that. So that's that's a big need right now, I would I would also say. And for people that are dealing with um, seniors, what would that support look like? What would your ideal change look like? Well, I, I can't really talk about ideal change right now. I mm. just can uh, talk about the, the, the piece that I am involved currently mm -hmm. uh, with my community-engaged research. So um, since early 2023, uh, I started a partnership with a, a senior clinic uh, which is affiliated with uh, Good Samaritan Society. Mm -hmm. And this partnership, uh, uh, you know, progressed. And now um, I have an advisory committee in the clinic. Within this advisory committee, we have registered nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, um, um, licensed practical nurses, physicians that are uh, involved in um, providing care for seniors that go to that clinic from all over the Edmonton. Hmm. Um, from the researcher part, we are a multidisciplinary group. Uh, that means we are from different disciplines. Uh, in McEwen, uh, we have uh, researchers from Faculty of Nursing, uh, a school of social work, mm. computer science, mm. uh, and uh, from uh, University of Alberta, we have researchers from Faculty of Nursing. So we are uh, partnering with this advisory committee. For now, we have a uh, healthcare professionals advisory committee. Later on, we might need to have patient advisory committee. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, since we uh, created this committee, uh, we have been uh, discussing uh, the strength and the weaknesses that healthcare professionals 
feel in their uh, clinic in, in terms of providing care to the seniors. Uh, and uh, now we have spotted a few issues that we can work on it. And uh, again, our advisory committee gave the highest priority uh, to uh, transition uh, to home. Uh, they mentioned that uh, um, their population, their clients, they they have two to three comorbidities, uh, and this caused them to have um, frequent uh, acute care, you know, admission. Mm-hmm. So they have to uh, be hospitalized, um, and when they are coming back uh, to their communities, uh, they have problems to start living uh, the life that they had before admission. Mm-hmm. So uh, oftentimes their um, uh, medication you know, might be changed during the um, uh, admission time and they have to kind of uh, um, get to use of uh, the, the new therapeutic regimen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they uh, lose ability um, in, in mobility mm-hmm. and they lose uh, some, you know, independency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get cognitive uh, issues that mm-hmm. doesn't allow them to uh, leave the independent life that they had before. Mm-hmm. And this uh, put a huge demand on their informal caregivers, mm-hmm. which are, you know, family. Yeah, and yeah. as you mentioned right now, um, the current situation that everyone has a job, really. Mm-hmm. We, we, uh, we don't... Um, uh, stay at home. Moms are working, dads are working. So actually, there is no one that can stay at home and take care of um, seniors. But families are providing this care, and this created burnout in them. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, this confusion with getting back to normal life put a lot of uh, demand on the healthcare professionals, the primary uh, people who are working in the communities. Um, who are providing primary care services to these seniors. Um, and it, yet they they go back to hospital mm-hmm. again. So we have readmissions again and again um, because the transition is not done smoothly and properly. Mm-hmm. So this is the area for improvement that we located uh, with the help of our community partner. So what we are going to do for this, we're going to, uh, first of all, uh, see what are the challenges exactly that these seniors uh, experience when they come back home um, from hospital. And for this, we're going to uh, talk to uh, a sample of uh, seniors, um, talk to healthcare professionals, uh, who are working in the clinic and they are in direct contact with the uh, seniors. Uh, so this is going to be a qualitative research when we interview these people and we will find the common uh, themes. We have access uh, to uh, client charts at the clinic so we can get some more data mm-hmm. out of that. After analyzing all this data, we might have a more clear uh, vision of the the challenge. Uh, 
Mm. So, and then again, with the help of our community, um, and I'm hoping that by the time we have uh, a patient uh, advisory committee or caregiver advisory committee, uh, with the help of these advisory committees, then we were going to make changes in the current practice within the clinic, or we might come up with a new intervention to facilitate this transition to home. And this will for sure um, will increase quality of life for seniors, uh, reduce uh, demand on uh, informal and formal caregivers, and will reduce readmission, mm. which is something that we want mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. But this will take time. Mm -hmm. Of course. And we, we try, we try to not to be rushed. We try to not to um, be desperate to find a quick fix. Mm -hmm. um, we're getting help from the community to give back to them something that is beneficial for them. Mm -hmm. And that is the essence of community-engaged research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like really helpful, great work that you're doing. So, yeah, that's exciting to see the see the results. Yeah, uh, we, we are we are so positive, and uh, we have um, passionate researchers in, mm -hmm. in our group, as well as um, really hardworking and again passionate healthcare professionals who are who are working with us. That's awesome. I'm kind of curious too. Um, when I think of kind of healthcare facilities for seniors, um, there's usually a cost. Would that be something that would be aftercare? Would there be a cost to it? Or is the goal kind of to have it part of the healthcare system? Uh, well, I, I won't be able to speak to this because mm. I don't have enough information on the cost of care right now. But something that I can say here, um, because of my background in health economy, acute care uh, setting get a huge amount of costs within healthcare mm -hmm. system. So if we can uh, reduce readmission, that would mm -hmm. really save a lot of costs for us. And we can use that in improving community care. Hmm. Um, at the end of the day, it's going to be a win-win situation mm -hmm. because you kind of increase the quality of care within the community and then you reduce the load from acute care sitting and you reduce the cost for acute care sitting. That's very interesting. Um, I kind of want to go back with health economy. What is, what is kind of that area of study? Well, this is the area that uh, I had uh, my second postdoc. Um, it might not be so appealing for <laughs> healthcare professionals because <laughs> we want to make changes to improve uh, quality of care. And at the beginning, we might not think a lot on the cost of the care, but you know that the healthcare budget is limited. Mm -hmm. If you listen to news, you can see that people from healthcare are advocating for increasing healthcare budget. But at the end of the day, we have a pot of money and we have so many areas um, to spend that money. Uh, it's not only healthcare in the country that needs uh, increasing uh, budget. Uh, there are other areas that 
need money. So we always have to balance the um, the cost of care. Um, and that is the area that health economists come to place. Hmm. Uh, we want to have um, cost-effective intervention. And with that means uh, we want to put in place uh, intervention to improve um, health of population, to improve the quality of care. But at the same time, we want that intervention to not to be so expensive and put a strain on healthcare budget. That kind of also makes me think, I'm just coming up with questions now. Um, when you worked for the Saskatchewan Health Authority during COVID, what did you see in kind of like the senior community? Well, uh, something that I was really concerned during pandemic was the health of seniors because this population was the one that got a huge kind of impact mm-hmm. in pandemic. First, because they were so vulnerable uh, to the virus. And with the comorbidities they had, uh, if they had uh, COVID infection, then it would have been very hard to to manage their their situation. Mm -hmm. Second, uh, that was even more obvious to me because of my place of living. I used to live in a 18 plus uh, building. Mm -hmm. And I would say the average age for the residents was 60 each. Mm. So Mm. we had a lot of uh, seniors in that building and COVID pandemic created huge um, kind of um, issues of, uh, first of all, isolation. Mm -hmm. Some of them needed their uh, family help, but they couldn't get enough of it during Mm -hmm. pandemic. And they were scared of uh, getting hospitalized. They were scared of even following up with their uh, health issues mm-hmm. and going to healthcare settings because they they thought well uh, with any uh, trip that I make to hospital or to the clinic I am increasing the risk of getting the the virus. Mm-hmm. So it really made me think that we need to not only focus on uh, seniors' comorbidities but in general their well being. Mm-hmm. How we can. Um, give them the care that they need without um, wanting them to uh, attend uh, to hospital or even clinics. So that uh, needs more progress, home care mm-hmm. um, uh, service. There are, there are so many things that you can uh, think of to increase quality of life in, in senior population. Um, But COVID pandemic um, taught us that isolation uh, hugely affected their health Mm -hmm. and well-being. And we need to really um, think of uh, some measures before getting Mm -hmm. another, you know, uh, a hard situation that uh, caused isolation. Mm -hmm. But I think even too, it kind of taught us a lot of things, either with like policymaking or implementations of different type of, I don't know, strategies, but kind of reminded us that certain groups are isolated even before Mm. the COVID pandemic. This is the case again with seniors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, One of the problems uh, with seniors is uh, isolation and it has been there before when pandemic, pandemic worsened the situation, Mm -hmm. but it it, it was there um, because um, kids are gone 
kids might, you know, live in, in different cities. Um, or you might not have any kids or you might be away from the, the extended family. Uh, and with the senior population, they they have less opportunity to go out and and socialize mm-hmm. with people other than their own family. If you are young, you have so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. You can go out, you know, uh, attend a sport activities, um, art activities, and and build your own community. But this is uh, this is going to be very challenging with senior populations. Um, Again, considering their comorbidities, considering their uh, issues with mobility, uh, issues with cognitive impairment that happen to this uh, uh, population, um, it makes it very difficult for them to socialize um, when they are not close to their uh, own families. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. It makes me sad <laughs> how we kind of just, everyone just kind of forgets once you get to a certain age. Or maybe too busy. <laughs> too busy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I have all my questions. Uh, was there anything we forgot to talk about or anything that you would like to mention? Well, yeah, I I, I would like to use this opportunity to talk about community-engaged research mm-hmm. again. <laughs> so... Um, this is this is the area that I believe is so rewarding for people at McEwen mm-hmm. because you can see the result of your research. When you make a change, you could see that, and this is rewarding. Mm-hmm. But um, with the current situation, um, not everybody. Uh, is willing to get engaged in this type of research Um, because first of all um, finding community partner takes time Mm -hmm. and building the trust again takes time and uh, you might do good work in that area but you might not have a lot of publications Mm. and publication is is the the academic product of the research, Mm -hmm. something that uh, faculty members need that to keep their at least position. Mm -hmm. So because of this, you know, long process involved in doing community engaged research, people might not be so willing to Mm -hmm. start doing this. But looking at the advantage of this community engaged research, um, we might be able to make some changes at the university to uh, kind of support faculty members in doing this type of research. First of all, um, something that I experienced, and I'm going to share it here, I'm, I'm sure other people uh, who are doing the same things uh, might have the same experience. You need funding for for the research, you, and with the community engaged research, uh, you need to write the proposal, uh, which is a plan for the research with the community, and this will take time. And you will be given the money after you submit the proposal to the funding agencies. So before that, 
you don't have any money to support the, the process. Mm. This is one, one problem, again, that uh, push people back. How I'm going to uh, fund the project um, during, you know, making my relationship with, with the community partner or writing the proposal. So this is the issue that we don't have any uh, solution right now mm. at McEwen. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is with the um, expectation from us, tenure track, um, or faculty members, we are expected based on our uh, workload uh, to kind of show our uh, showcase our academic uh, achievement, which mm -hmm. are um, articles, mm -hmm. published articles. Community engaged research takes long mm -hmm. time before getting mm -hmm. to this, mm -hmm. and that is ex scary. People want uh, to improve their uh, resume, and this is not going to happen by being involved in this type of research. So they rather going to other ways than coming here. But again, at least we can address this locally in our university by changing the criteria for, for um, kind of a promotion. Um, if I am uh, involved in, in community engaged research, the, the criteria for me uh, must be, at least as I expect, different from uh, other people. Um, I must not be evaluated by the number of articles mm. in my resume. My work must be evaluated through other ways. I am doing a, a really valuable activity, but I might not get uh, the number of publications that is expected from mm. a faculty member mm. at my uh, level. Mm. So this is the changes that we can really make in at McEwen to uh, facilitate getting involved in this type of research, which is really impactful, is, is meaningful, and is doing something. You know, if I wanted to say it simply, is this doing something? We're changing even if it's a small, we're making change in communities. Mm -hmm. So I shouldn't put my position at risk mm. for doing this. Mm -hmm. These two have to kind of boost each other. Mm -hmm. If I am actively doing this type of research, it has to have a positive impact on my um, kind of promotion. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that would make me even more passionate, more willing to keep doing this and, and make more changes. Mm -hmm. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> well, especially with community-engaged research, it is directed to make change and to make people be heard. So, yeah, very important work. I usually end off with, do you have any advice for any listeners, any students, or any faculty? For the faculty, I I would kind of suggest that don't be scared of uh, long process in community engage. Um, the more you do it, the more you will be good at it, and and the the, the process might be shorter. Mm -hmm. And for the students, please get the opportunities. If something comes to you on your way, get it because it's going to widen your horizon for your. Uh, future career. Mm -hmm. Nice. 
I know from my experience working with my profs or, you know, people that are in the field that I want to work in, that's always um, really rewarding for me to work with the pros. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Well, thank you for being with us today. I'm excited to see where your project goes. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, that's all we have for today's episode of Research Recasted. If you want to support this podcast, you can visit Research Recasted on your favorite podcast platform to find new episodes every two weeks. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Research Recasted, where you can leave us a like, give us a follow, or send us a message if you have any follow-up questions from today's episode. This has been Research Recasted, a knowledge mobilization podcast, brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Arts and Communications at McCune University. Funding for the podcast is partially provided by the Government of Canada through the Research Support Fund. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Brooklyn Logician and Natalie Smattis. Music, sound design, and editing is by Natalie Smattis. Research, copy editing, and scripting is by Brooklyn Logician. And our executive producer is Hugh McKenzie.